Father, we thank you for this morning. We are so grateful to come and somehow open your word together as a community where we can get all get on the same page as we'll talk about this morning, theologically, trying to understand your ways. You were so clear to the prophet Isaiah, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. As you looked over your people, Israel, Lord, we know that sometimes our thoughts do not align with yours. And so when we open your word, we're always praying to uh, re-guide us, uh, correct our paths, help us. And uh, we are desperate need of the Holy Spirit to do that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So the la- for those of you who weren't here the last week or two weeks, last week was State of the Church. So we kind of gave a, a retrospect of what had happened over 2018 and quite frankly since we launched uh, in late 2016, and maybe a little bit of vision into the future and just kind of a state of where we are. Uh, that was last week, and the week before, we had a guest speaker come in, uh, and because we were, had that outreach in Phoenix, and so it helped, helped me a little bit, and he spoke about generosity. So I've been two weeks removed from you, although I got to talk a little bit last week uh, as it related to the state of the church, uh, from this, uh, this in-depth look that we've been exploring this letter to the Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. So we're going to dive right back in. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're just going to just overlap a little where we were a couple of weeks ago. And so let me set it up for you. If you'll remember, it's this language that he uses. He goes back in and he explores Psalm chapter 68. And it's this picture of a triumphant uh, rise, a walk uh, up Jerusalem up towards Mount Zion, taking a host of captives captive. That's Psalm 68. And that would have been either literally, we looked at the different nuances of what that could have been applied to, either David actually winning a physical battle and coming back with either those who had been taken captive and now released or actual captives from other, uh, other lands that had been conquered, either God through the Ark of the Covenant coming up and actually finally residing there at Jerusalem, But Paul takes that and he flips it and he says this, verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. All this is in the context of gifts. When he ascended on high, and again, he's quoting Psalm 68, written about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. He led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What does that mean? Well, the picture would have been a triumphal entry into the city, maybe with some captives in tow, and uh, all these gifts were going to be poured out because they had won the war or won the battle or won, you know, and the bo- there was booty to be shared among all people. And that's the kind of imagery Paul is relying on. And I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously a thousand years before Jesus, now he's given in its fulfillment, its prophetic fulfillment in a larger sense. Christ now descends at the, after having given his life on the cross into the remote, into the lower parts of the earth. First uh, Peter 3, as we alluded to a couple of weeks ago, says what? That he went down to the spirits now, departed, uh, that were being held in prison and made some kind of proclamation. It wasn't hell. Jesus didn't have to go and suffer more in hell. That, wasn't, that was completely finished at the cross. But then he ascends, so he descended in the lower parts of the earth, it says, and then he ascended and then gave gifts to men, drawing on this, again, this language out of Psalm 68. It says, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might, what, fill all things. Now, if, why would Jesus ascend if he's trying to fill all things? He should stay here, right? Why would he go? Well, Jesus was very clear. It's better that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. 
And he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So we know the Holy Spirit is operative in the world, convicting the world, saying, you know, you're not right with God. There is a God. You're not right with God. And you know, Jesus is not here. He's given us a picture, a, a hint, a scent, like uh, the book of Job says, a scent of water. It, we, it, there's people even who deny God cannot completely and utterly get away from the reality that God is present, ever-present, and is here. Now, we can be hardened, but the Holy Spirit is always doing that work. But how will Jesus fill the earth? How will this happen? And why would you give this in the language, in the context of gifts? And what are those gifts? Well, Paul's going to now begin to elaborate on those gifts. I will tell you this. I think what Jesus was uh, saying here, or what Paul was saying about Jesus, I should say, is that Jesus could only be here with 12 people. I mean, he was three and a half years with 12 guys, all right? And they walked around the dusty paths from Nazareth to Capernaum and all the way down from Sea of the, the Galilee of the Gentiles and made their way down. And, uh, okay, so he was there, 12 guys. And, yeah, there were some extensions of that. We don't know a whole lot about how close the Jesus would have been to the 70. Matthew 10, he sends, uh, he sends out the 12. And then Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 70. So we don't know exactly what that, how close that relationship was. And we know that he had other relationships. And, and of course, he fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000, maybe made some hand, shook some hands. But in general, he was discipling 12 guys. Well, how's he going to do that? He filled, if you will, he filled those 12 guys. Maybe even the 70. But how's he going to fill the earth? Through the Holy Spirit. What, is the, what happens when the Holy Spirit fills you? You are given gifts. And that's why he uses this context. Are you with me? So let's go ahead and read. So here are the gifts. Now, this is called the fivefold ministry. Now, there are other gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, talk about the various giftings, hospitality, service, gifts of mercy, all kinds of things that are extraordinary. But there is an overarching five-fold ministry that there is a tendency for people to think, well, that's for the clergy, that's for the priests, the pastors, the, we're just laymen, you know, we can do the service, we can maybe be on the hospitality team, or we can maybe, you know, do this or do that. But he said, those are, those are, the, those are the big guns, right? So, you know, those are people who've been trained, been to seminary, been through all kinds of Bible college, uh, been doing this for a long time. That's for them, and then we're just kind of the pew sitters out here. And uh, so these really don't apply to us. I'm going to challenge that thinking if that, in fact, has been the way you've thought about this particular passage. It says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain. Now catch this. Here's, here's why. Until we attain to the unity of the faith. So he's going to build up the body. He's going to equip us. He's going to attain the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be kids. I mean, we're just children sometimes, we, especially in the West. You know, we just think we can go to church and then we go back to our life and then we come back and, you know, and it's all this responsibility. Whoever the pastor is, whoever we're paying up there, we'll, we'll let them do all that work. And then we go back and we just kind of, you know, we do what, not that, not that we wouldn't pray, not that maybe we'd even be involved in a home group, but you never really think of yourselves as these things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. No, 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 that's for the, that's for the experts. I'm going to challenge that thinking. 
So you're not, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, up of itself in love. Okay, now that's a lot of words. I know that got some of you maybe lost in that. Here's the general sense. The gifts are given so that the body might grow and might mature. The body. What is it that fills the earth? The body, the church fills the earth. It's the Holy Spirit through his people. Could you have imagined... Could, could the Apostle Paul have imagined the number of churches just right here in the Coachella Valley? Could he have imagined? Could he, could he have ever thought? I mean, it said, start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. We are remote. We're halfway around the globe. Could they have ever imagined the thousands and thousands and thousands of followers of Jesus being filled with the Spirit? Well, evidently, he could imagine it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because that's what's going to fill the earth. How's Christ going to fill the earth? By inhabiting you, and the body is going to grow, and we're going to reach into every people group, every place. There's only a few languages left. And they're just, you know, some very remote, remote kind of languages that are left. Uh, We're we're getting very close to not having, and there are thousands and thousands of languages and derivations thereof. Every language, every people group. The, the church is filling the earth. Christ is filling the earth through his church. That's what he's saying. So there's a couple of things that we want to get here. So the equipping. So is it just the pastoral staff or is it just us that are responsible for equipping you? Or is it we equip you and then you equip each other? And then we continue to equip one another. And then we use our varying gifts Sometimes I think, especially when you see this, you go, that's the guys up there. But I want to talk to you this morning about how you may be an evangelist. You may be a pastor or a teacher or have pastoral giftings through the Holy Spirit, and nobody's ever encouraged that in you. Why? What's job security for me? I have all the gifts. I'll give you guys every once in a while, I'll give you a gift. And uh, we can come here and we can focus on my gift every week and then, and that'll be it. And I don't want to, I don't want to have, I don't want to empower the troops because they might go crazy. <laughs> I can tell you right now from all the leadership at Church of the Red Door across all, across all avenues, it is our call to release you into your gifting. And I'm, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Why? We got to build up this body. We've got to help the church. What does it say? Attain unity of the faith. Now, I think unity of the faith relies on a couple of things. I, how, do you, how are we unified in the faith? I think, number one, we're, we need to be unified theologically. We need to be thinking the same things. That's why we always defer authoritatively to this. Not to pastor this or pastor. We always can come back to the Word. And I'm never above, ever, ever, Paul, myself, any of the other pastors, Ever above you coming and saying, wait a minute, what about this? I can explain this. Let's, let's talk about this. And it's not that we can't be moved. This doesn't change. Sometimes interpretations are, change a little bit over time. I mean, our ability to understand it comprehensively changes as we grow, but the Word's still the same. It abides. It's the same. Jesus is the Word, same yesterday, today, and forever. So we've got to think theologically 
and we have to think accurately. That's the unity of the faith. What else must we be unified? We've got to be moving in the direction of becoming like Jesus. That's called sanctification. So we need to be thinking to be unified on the same page, and we need to be acting similarly to one another. That doesn't mean I act exactly like you, but we should all be moving in the direction of what? Well, we begin to, we're, you know, when this happens, we forgive. When this happens, this is how we act. This is, this, is, this is the protocol. This is, well, this is how Jesus acted and we're becoming like him. So we need to think like Jesus and we need to act like Jesus to be unified. Well, how does that happen? Well, we come together in a community and it's like you put all these stones and one of those uh, big things that grind it up. You know, the, my dad was in the cement business. So if he's watching, I am so sorry, dad. I really apologize. But, you know, those big things where you mix the, the, the cement with the, uh, oh, I should know this. What is it? Aggregate. Aggregate. Just exactly what was on my heart. Aggregate and cement. <laughs> and you start mixing that thing up and those rocks get turning around. Well, if you were to do that over long periods of time, those rocks would be, the, some of the edges would begin to be kind of off and you'd be more rounded. More. We have to bump up against one another in doing mission so that we're changed. You cannot just say, okay, we're going to go to church each week and then you go back to your life. Look, you have to be part of a community missionally so that all of a sudden you find out your weaknesses and your deficits and you can also call out strengths in other people. And all this, this mixing and this constant mixing happens and when that happens, the body's built up. You can't, we, we are so weakened when everybody's not walking in their gift. To everybody has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. Everybody. I likened it to our cat who I've talked to you about. We have, you know, an, an, an entire animal shelter at our house. <laughs> Thanks to my daughter Tatum who's down here who works at the animal hospital. But, you know, we have dogs and cats. And we have three cats. And one of them has three legs. Tripod. And I've told you about tripod before. So tripod, look, is, okay, if you look at tripod's body and it's only got three legs, it can function, but it would be nice if it had a fourth leg. What does it have to do even to get up and eat? Because it likes to eat up on a high counter because it's nervous of the other cats. So, or the dogs or whatever, the other animals that happen to be running around at that time. So what she does is she has to go through a, a gate and then get around into the kitchen and jump up on this chair and completely annihilate this chair and crawl up this chair, sit on the very top of the back of the chair, and then make a jump over to this little shelf thing that we have where Laura has a plant. And then from there, she can then jump up onto the top and then go around, and and then she's gotten there. And she's, she's made do. But the other cats, they can just, like, jump from here up to there. Just whoosh, but not her. Now, she still functions, but not, near, not nearly as well if she had all four legs. We'll function as a church if you don't walk in your gift. But we won't function like we would if we have everybody running full cylinder in the context of what they have been gifted to do. Now, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not been covered in his blood and then as a result have the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, can I just tell you, there's no gifting there. You can't just bring, you could bring something, but you won't bring the fullness of the gifts, not that we're talking about. You could try, you could, you know, you could park, you do this or do that or help in all different kinds of ways, but you couldn't function in these gifts. These are specific gifts that Jesus had to die for and then ascend back to the right hand of the Father and pour them out via the Holy Spirit. And that's important to see. So when all these things happen, ultimately, we've got to become unified in the faith. We've got to know the true Jesus. And then ultimately, we, have, we need to mature in Christ 
you know, Jesus poured out the water, washed their feet. I mean, we've got to become, well, in fact, we're, when we grow in Christ, we're actually descending into service. True maturity in, Christ, in, in, in the faith is that as you grow in Christ and you become more powerful in Christ, you're actually descending. You're not ascending. You're actually descending. Jesus was clear, the greatest among you will be your servant. Now, if we don't have a culture that says that, that's it. That is right. That seems so right. The people that we love the most are the people who serve us and love us the most. Go to a funeral. Go to a memorial. I mean, it's like I've told you before, but my, my grandmother, when she died, my, my first grandmother, when she died at 72, it was just out of nowhere. It was brutal. And, and I've thought, well, maybe she knows five or six people. There's like a thousand people or something. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm like, how did they all know my grandmother? She loved and served so many people. She had descended, and then as a result, she, was, she became the greatest through her descent. It, was, it, it, it left an indelible mark on my mind. Now, some gifts are necessarily more visible than others. That's true, but still, it's the heartbeat. It's humility. It's serving. That's the core of who Jesus is, and that's what we're trying to become like. So many of you will now say, well, wait a minute. I just can't do this. I didn't go to seminary. I can never share my faith. I can't, you know, reading my Bible is too hard because I can't understand it. Prayer, I, my mind wanders all over the place. I pray for 30 seconds, and I'm thinking about my golf swing or this or that. I just... I cannot do this. I can't. I'm nothing. I'm nothing in the spiritual sense. I just, I just can't do it. Well, I want you to watch this clip, and then I've got a fascinating little story that I, did, I wasn't able to tell first service that I'll be able to tell second service. But I want you to watch this little clip. We always feel like we're nothing, but we need somebody in our life like a big brother who says, no, let me just tell you, push you on, push you on. Watch this clip from, from the movie. Faster. Unbroken. Why? No one's chasing me. I'm chasing you. I can't do this, Pete. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. What are you talking about? I can't make a track team. I don't even know why you yes, want you me can. to. Yes, you can. If you can take it, you can make it. What? If you can take it, you can make it. All right, you train, you fight way harder than those other guys, and you win. You get out from under them. Or you keep going the way you're going, and you end up as a bum in the streets. You can do this, Lou. Just gotta believe you can. I don't believe. I do. Come on. Andiamo. Forza! Va bene.
boy, oh boy, can that guy fly. They're calling him the Torrance Tornado. So, you know, you want to hear a fun backstory to this, by the way, which is it's just so weird. Welcome to the Coachella Valley. So I guess the, this movie, Unbroken, which I haven't seen, Laura said she watched about half of it and couldn't continue to watch it. If any of you have seen it, it was really brutal. But uh, this guy, it was a, after a particular guy, and we have a, a precious part of our community from Denver who's here uh, sometimes recently uh, lost her husband, who was the senior pastor at uh, Cherry Creek Community Church for many, many years. Barb Dixon lost Jim, and she's since remarried to a gentleman named John. And John grabbed me after the first service, and she goes, he goes, do you know what that T was on, on their, do you know what that T was on their shirt? That's from Torrance. And that guy that, that this whole movie was built upon was my, was my mother's, or I, I believe his mother, and it was his, it, it was his boyfriend. It was my mother's boyfriend. And he said, and she turns 102 next week and she goes we couldn't believe it we were sitting there you know it's just so strange and uh that has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon i just thought that was fascinating so <laughs> so uh isn't that unbelievable i'm like are you kidding me you gotta be kidding me uh but see the brother in this it's a, based on a true story by the way the brother in that that's what this is for that's five-fold ministry that's the big brother going, you're saying, I can't do this. I'm nothing. I don't, I, I don't have any ability to do any of these kind of things. I've tried to share my faith. I didn't know. It's not like we're just going to say, oh, yes, you can. You don't have to practice. I mean, Paul uses all kinds of language, uh, sports and analogs throughout everything he says. I don't box the air, you know, without aim. Uh, I buffet my body. Uh, I, and that doesn't say buffet your body, so you guys don't. But I buffet my body and make it my slave and, you know, run the race so as to win. I mean, he uses all kinds of this, this language. And he's trying to help us understand it takes active engagement. Active engagement to, to work on your gift, to hone it, to make it something that's going to be profitable for the whole body. That's not only the local body, it's the this, the church in the Coachella Valley, as I've said before, it's the church in the United States, it's the church, it's the world church. So you, you, your role matters. Your role matters and how, how much you actually pour into honing those gifts. Now, I will tell you that we cannot, we cannot stay spiritual children forever. Paul, in his letter to the Hebrews, he said, by now you ought to be teachers of the word. But as it is, you still have need for milk. You're not ready for solid food. He said, you don't even have your senses trained to discern good and evil. You think you do, but you don't know the word. You don't know the word. You've got to know the word. I mean, he told Timothy, you know, don't be, don't be a workman that's ashamed. You've got to be a workman that's unashamed, able to handle, handle accurately the word of truth. We have to become people of the word if we want our gift to flourish. If we want our gift to flourish. Now, many are going to say, we, so we just can't be babies. You know, babies are cute. But I don't want my, you know, I don't want my 18-year-old who's here this morning to be still wearing those clothes and crawling around on the ground. That would be a problem. There is a time and a season, but there's a time to grow up, and that's what he's saying, and you grow up into Christ. The body needs you. Jesus needs you. He, his goal is to fill the earth, and he will. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Are you going to be part of that? You can't be carried around, carried away by every wind of doctrine, every new trickery and deceitfulness of men, you know. 
Uh, well, I was, I read, uh, I, I see Oprah Winfrey now, and she's bringing in this whole kind of new age mysticism and stuff with guys like Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle's and all these different kind of things. And it kind of talks about Jesus and it kind of talks about this, but it gets back into the divine within and you miss, you miss the cross. You miss the fact that, uh, you know, all these gifts are given to us from outside, not inside. They're not already resident within you. And it begins to mix it and you get thrown off. And you can, you can labor for years, folks. We've got to be on the same page theologically. We have to grow up. We do have to grow up. And these five gifts help the person after you. It's kind of a pay it forward thing. Now, let me just say this. Some will argue aggressively that these gifts, especially the first two, are no longer for us today. And we need to address that. But before we do, I'm going to give you a quote of why I think this is such a big deal. And the quote is a great one. Why? Because I wrote it. All right, you ready? <laughs> we, have to, we have to be a light shining into this world. And I wrote this this week, and I, and I, I said, I, I, want, I want that. I want to be able to communicate this way. Normally, I don't read stuff, of, especially that I wrote. But this is huge. It sounds like me, doesn't it? Don't think of walking in your gift as some gross and miserable obligation. Think of creating a community that's dynamic and vibrant, where new people are being added daily to make our lives robust with purpose and joy and love and dynamism. I cannot tell you, if you're not part of a mission community, if you don't have the privilege to watch somebody come to Christ and be discipled, watch their lives change right before your eyes, if you're not close enough to the action to see that, you're missing out on something unbelievable, something that makes life so sweet. Now, we celebrate with those who are celebrating, and we mourn with those who are mourning. That's Romans 12, 15. We are not in heaven yet, folks, but we should be able to get close enough to it where we begin to feel its warmth, and you feel that in the context of missional community. Jeff, you talk about community a lot. Jeff, you talk about this gifting stuff a lot. Yes, because we have to flourish in it. We cannot have a weak link. We have to have everybody working at full capacity. Now, most will say 20% of the people in any church, and I've got a lot of pastors in here, and you can nod your head or whatever, a lot of pastors in here, and they said 20% of the people in church do all the work, pretty much all the work. And the rest is kind of hang on, and they come. And what would happen? Now, there are always going to be a percentage of you that are still trying to figure out whether Jesus is God's son and whether or not God loves you, and you're welcome here, and we're not asking you to do anything. In fact, the Bible would say until you're connected with Christ, you don't have the capacity to be gifted through the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you embrace Jesus. But you're welcome. It's a safe place for you to come and explore. But for the rest of us, we should be engaged in these things, engaged especially. Just We really should be every day thinking our first priority, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And then practicing what, whatever our gifting is, honing it, making it better. Jesus clearly had all five gifts, all right? Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was clearly the sent one, right, which is all an apostle means. He was clearly an evangelist. That's easy to see. Did he pastor people? Of course he did, those 12 guys for three and a half years. Did he teach? He was the rabbi, rabboni. He was the great teacher. He operated perfectly and functioned perfectly in all five gifts. We don't have all five gifts, and the reason is is because it makes us interdependent, 
Are you with me? So the body, I need you, you need me, you cross-pollinate. And when we do that, we've got something vibrant. We've got, a, we've got a body that can fill the earth. And until we have that, we don't. And we have a few professional people who get up and speak, and everybody's like, golf clap, golf clap, what time do I go to lunch? That's not what it is. It's not the church. It's not what, it's not what Jesus had in mind. I'm telling you, it's not what he had in mind. Now we got to get into something that is controversial. Controversial. I wish it wasn't, but there's always something here that leads to controversy in terms of interpretation. I'm going to give you one side of the story, and I'm going to give you the other side, and then I'm going to give you my take. And I always tend to somehow find myself somewhere in the middle, which was the case as we've talked about some soteriological issues in here and how you're saved and all those kinds of things. As it is again, I'm going to find somewhat of a middle ground. And it relates to the first two gifts, apostolic gift and prophetic gift. Now, much of the body of Christ, guys that even I love and know and respect and bear fruit for the kingdom, believe with, without any hesitation that those first two gifts have ceased to exist, apostle and prophet. And there can be a good argument for that because as we learned in Ephesians 2, right, the church is built upon Christ, the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets, and that's the foundation. And then we're living stones being built up into a dwelling place. So the foundation's already been laid. There aren't any more prophets. We're not canonizing more scripture each day. There aren't new apostles. There were 12 apostles. Well, and then I guess, well, Apostle Paul, and then maybe Barnabas and Silvanus and Timothy, but a few more then that were called apostles. Gets a little dicey there on that interpretation. But they've ceased those gifts no longer exist. On the other side, much more since sometimes in the charismatic movement, and I'm not only going to go to the other side, but I'm going to go to the very far extreme other side. And let me tell you, and some of you it won't matter, but some of you may have heard of this, and I first started learning about it from uh, being on the seminary board in Israel. And it's called the NAR. It's called the uh, it's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, the NAR is something that they believe that God is reestablishing the apostolic office, not gifting, but office in the earth today, which is going to give them a profound amount of authority and eventually be able to do all the signs and wonders to the same degree that the first original apostles did. And they're establishing that. The question is, and this is a little bit of a nebulous thing, some claim that it doesn't even exist, the organization, but it's been coined by the late uh, Peter Wagner. So I'm going to just say right now, straight up front, Church of the Red Door... I, we don't support the idea of the NAR. I don't. I will say that. The new apostolic reformation, meaning that somehow God, through this new... Because you've got to realize the early apostles had what? They had absolute authority. They wrote scripture that we now hold as the inspired word of God. Ain't he going to be like the first 12? Revelation 21.14 says that and if you go at the end of the picture, you see this new heavenly Jerusalem... And there, in fact, are the 12 names of the apostles on the 12, on the 12 gates there. Are there going to be more than 12? Even the apostle Paul is not included in that. Are there more or are there less? Well, it gets, starts to get confusing. Our apostolic stuff keep going? No, it's done. It's over. Both of these lob, it's, as usually is the case, they lob theological grenades back and forth. This is too extreme, but this is too extreme. Well, how could this be too extreme? Here's what I'll tell you this, and I make this distinction. I make the distinction between the office of the apostle and the prophet versus the gifting of the apostle and prophet. Let me explain. 
I don't want anybody at Church of the Red Door, and if you happen to have this, uh, we'll take it away from you as best we can. Don't print up on your card, you know, Bob Smith, member of Church of the Red Door, and then at the bottom say, the Apostle Bob Smith or the Prophet Bob Smith. To name ourselves as the office of prophet. Like if we had a prophet in here at Church at the Red Door, we'd all like, all right, well, I want to know who's going to win the Rams game next week. And I want to know, you know, I want to know where this guy, I forgot his phone number. Maybe I can go talk to the prophet. And I know that a little bit of that's tongue in cheek. And some would, and, and again, that's not fair, but I'm saying to be named in an office of a prophet, I'm not into that. I think that's too far. I think that's too extreme. Same thing with the apostle. But let me tell you something. I think it's crazy in my view. I maybe shouldn't use the word crazy. I think it's crazy that, uh, that we can imagine that the church can function without these gifts. How so? Well, how are they defined? Well, first of all, as we saw, uh, apostolos is a, for apostles is the Greek. It just means a sent one. It's a delegate. It's like a messenger. I think there's an apostolic calling. I, there's a number of you in here that I think have an apostolic calling. In fact, we've been a beneficiary of that. This is my friend Bruce here. I believe Bruce has an apostolic gifting. I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to say uh, the apostle Bruce, and I don't think Bruce would want that to be said, but I think he was very much instrumental in seeing that this church got launched. He was like a sent one. He... he, he Goes into new places. I think in some ways I've had some apostolic callings. We go into new places that have been unreached by Christ. We go in, tip of the sword kind of stuff. We see something emerge and start like a sent one to a new people group. Not to go to sustain something that's already begun. To Tip of the sword, right? No, Christ isn't named there. I would call that an apostolic gifting, but I wouldn't call it, hey, he now serves in the apostolic office. I wouldn't call it that. Maybe I'm splitting hairs, but I would say, hey, we want the gifting. I want some of you have an apostolic gifting where you're just good at going in where Christ isn't, and you just go right in, and you plant things, and they start to flourish. I think that's an apostolic calling. I think that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. And it was clear, and that's why he was referred to. And then you see those that operated in that gift. Now, what about prophets? Let me just read Strong's concordance here, or Strong's definition of a prophet. One who, moved by the Spirit of God, and hence his organ or spokesman, solemnly declares to men what he has received by inspiration, especially concerning future events, and in particular, such as relate to the cause and kingdom of God and to human salvation. Well, we're not going to have anybody prophet Bob or prophet, you know, Margaret or anything like that. But I do believe that there are people in this church that have been gifted and it needs to be called out in you very close to the Lord in prayer. And you would frame it something like this, not to say, oh, well, this is how it is. But you might frame it something like this. You know, I was really in prayer the other day and I feel like the Holy Spirit really impressed on me that we need to do this. Or, and I want that input. I would call that prophetic input in terms of prophetic gifting. Even the apostle Paul said, there are many gifts, as he describes the gift, and you should be desirous of the gifts, but especially desire the gift to prophesy. And if prophecy is not, okay, thus saith the Lord, you know, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. I mean, not this canonical kind of absolute authoritative voice, but within the context of a church to say, you know, I really feel strongly about this. I feel like the Lord's really impressing on me that we need to get a piece of land or we need to, you know, something needs to happen. Those are the giftings. I don't want to lose those giftings. I find nothing in Scripture 
that said that those gifts cease. I find, if I find something, then I would adhere to that. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 21, real quickly. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the evangelist, notice, do you see how ingrained it was? Philip wasn't a disciple. He was a disciple of Jesus, wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. Philip the evangelist. I like that. And by the way, I'm never afraid to call of the second, of the third, uh, gifts three, four, and five, evangelist, pastor, teacher, I'm never afraid to call somebody an evangelist. And I don't mind if you put that on your cart. That's no problem with me. Apostle and prophet, I have a problem with that because there was the original 12 and there were the original prophets. And so it's, it's an, there's too much ambiguity there. But I would say this, evangelist, ah, oh, Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming, he took Paul's belt and I won't read the whole story, but he took his belt around him. He says, Paul, you're going to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you. And uh, so and off he goes. And Paul says, I know it because Paul was a, had a prophetic spirit too. He says, I know the Lord's already told me that they're going to bind me when I go to Jerusalem. So Agabus is saying, well, don't go. Well, Agabus had a prophetic sense that that was going to happen. He saw it maybe in a vision or some, some, something. And yet at the same time, he didn't, the, the application wasn't right because he was saying, therefore, stay. But Paul goes, no, I've got to go. You're, you're killing me here. I, let me go. This is the Lord's call on my life. Are you with me? There are many other places where we see beyond the original 12 apostles named and beyond the original uh, uh, prophets that we see other prophetesses and prophets. Now, again, let's talk not in terms of office, but in terms of what? Gifting. Are you with me? All right, is that my, am I out of time? Or are you guys, uh, I'm just kidding, I'm sorry. So let's talk now quickly about evangelists. Evangelists. Euangelites, that's the plural here. What does that mean? Well, it simply means someone who brings good tidings. It's a preacher of the gospel. If you have an evangelist, and let me tell you something. Many of you have evangelistic gifts in there. I'm telling you, why? Because you just can't wait to share. Bring people to church at the Red Door. Bring people to your fellowship group. Talk to people about Jesus. You find yourself in the store. You just cannot contain yourself. You meet somebody and you just start sharing Jesus. Or at least you have a desire to. Maybe you're not trained. Maybe you're saying, well, I can't do it. But there's some deep embedded thing in you that everybody you see you want to talk to Jesus about. Now, in general, we should all have that desire. But there are, there are specific gifts like evangelism that just, it just is in you. It's part of your DNA. And I want, you, I want you to know that part of our task is to call that out in you. And I've already do that. There are a number of you already. I already call you, you know, Greg the Evangelist, Janice the Evangelist, you know, Bob the Evangelist. And I know that sounds funny, but I want you to take on that identity as a gift because it's one of our calls to call out in you what God's gifted you to do. We're the big brother. Come on. You can do it. 2D22. 2 Timothy 2.2, we got 2D2.2 groups. Teach and train others to teach and train others. To teach and train others. To teach and train others, spiritual Amway, yes. It's beautiful. That's how the church grows. Not by just having a bigger, bigger better mousetrap where you get other churches to die off because you've got more exciting things going on at your church. That is not kingdom growth. You doing the work of an evangelist, you doing the work of a pastor, teacher, and maybe even bringing your prophetic and apostolic gifts to the table. Pastors are just poimen, that's all that is in the Greek, and they're just shepherd, they're herdsmen. 
They're overseers of the church. Some of you, you know, I, I'm not so good at like sharing about Jesus, but once somebody has kind of come, I just have this heart to, I just care, I care about people so much. And, you know, we're all sheep. It's like, and they just start going over here, you know, sheep. And you just feel like, no, come back over here. Come. You need to keep coming to church over here. No, 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 no. Come back over here. Let me, let's sit down over coffee and we'll talk. What problems are you going through? Oh, that's terrible. Let's pray about it. And no, can you just go come back over here? You know, it's a pastoral heart. Many of you have pastoral hearts. I have a pastoral heart. But I have a stronger call, just teacher. What does a teacher do, right? Uh, a teacher is just someone, is an instructor with special assistance from the Holy Spirit. I'm a long-term sustainer guy. Some people can go in and then they're ready to go into something else. I'm not that way. I've always been, I'm happy to be in the same place. I've lived here for 32 years. I'm happy to go in with a group and, and be with a group for 20 years and just keep teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. I don't have to have the new experience. I don't have to, you know, I don't get itchy every two years and got to move somewhere else. Grass is always greener. I am happy to be here. You keep coming. I will keep pouring out. I love to teach. When you're reading the Bible, do you do this? Oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Who am I going to tell about this? Who am I going to tell about this? I, I, I'm going to call. I'm going to call my son. I'm going to call my daughter. I'm going to get my neighbor. You're a teacher. Teach. We want to give you an opportunity to teach. Can't just happen here on Sunday morning. So do you start to see that all these gifts... Now, again, I, this is my premise. I really believe that the fivefold ministry is much beyond what uh, most people think. I think it's, that's for the paid guys up front to equip us for the work of service. And it, let me gotta tell you something. We got a, we've got so many people here, and you are so gifted, and we want to give you that opportunity. And look, if, in, some of you are going to find, and you're not going to find an opportunity in Church of the Red Door, maybe in the short term. But does that mean you can't go out and you, you grab your teacher and you grab three people in your neighborhood and just invite them? Well, they don't know the Lord. I need to get a Christian Bible study. Just invite them over to your house and say, let's talk about this a little bit. A couple of them leave, a couple more come. You're doing something right in your own thing. And then maybe church at the red door is something that, is a, uh, something that really benefits that. You're gifting. And then you can partner. And mer- Are you following me? This, ha- this is happening outside the walls of the church. Not, we can't, everybody can't have their gift manifest during the course of a Sunday morning. But church at the red door is much more than a Sunday morning. It's a dynamic organism that's working 24 hours around the clock if we're doing our work. So in closing, I'll just simply say this. I, I, I didn't have time. I, w- I was going to go into more detail about 1 Corinthians 12 and Corinthians 12. We'll do that in future uh, messages for sure. Go into the depth of some of the, the ex- other gifts that are not just part of the fivefold. But I want you to think you could very much be gifted in one of these areas, have a propensity to, towards one of these areas in your life. And there's, there's a fear in me. And I will say it's a healthy, holy, righteous fear because I know that every single one of you listening to me either by live stream or YouTube or whatever or right here sitting here, this I do know and believe with 100% of my heart that every one of you will stand before God one day. Some of you who follow Jesus will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you give an account for the life that you've lived, how you've used your gifts, etc., 
prayerfully, not one person in the sound of my voice will have rejected Jesus as the Messiah and not believed in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you do in this life, the Bible's pretty clear. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm unapologetic because Jesus taught it. You'll be removed from his presence forever. That's called a great white throne judgment. I pray not one of you ever stand before God at the great white throne judgment. That all of us, but all of us will be judged. And here's three things that I absolutely know that you will want said about you as you stand before the Lord. I know it. You won't care whether you took that last trip to the French Riviera, whether you bought that third house that you needed, whether you added that second country club membership that you always wanted, whether you upgraded that car. Whether, all those things will be completely irrelevant at that moment. And in fact, you will have seen many of those things as hindrances. It's difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom. Let me tell you, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you, and because also I have a fear as a teacher that I have not made this expressly clear These are the three things that you're going to want said about your life. I promise you. Number one, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There is not one thing in your life, if you sought the kingdom as a number one priority, you will be happy that you did on that day. Number two, 1 Peter 4, 10. Each has received a special gift, therefore employ it in serving one another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. Employ your gift. Work on it. Hone it. Go to, we got apologetics courses coming up. We got new believers classes. We got all kinds. We got, there's more things that you can be honed on. Or now you say, I know a lot of this. I'd like to actually begin to practice teaching some of this. Opportunities emerge inside or outside the church at the red door. Hone it, employ it, use it. I promise you on that day, I promise you, I swear, if every fiber of my body, you will not regret having employed your gift fully. And thirdly, this is a terrifying verse. I remember when I first read this when I was a new believer, I was like, oh, what does this mean? Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven He'll enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Sounds like some pretty righteous bambitos here, right? Banditos. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, knowing Christ, knowing Christ, I promise you, you will not regret knowing Christ. Not knowing about Christ. Knowing Christ. How do you know Christ? Do you walk with him? You use your gift. You don't just walk with Christ so he can give you something, throw you some crumbs every once in a while. You walk with him because he's on mission, and because he's on mission, he wants to fill the earth with your body. He wants to fill you and then fill the earth with his church. Those three things, I promise you, those those will be the highest three priorities that you have. You will say, why did I not listen? Why did I not? No, I pray not one of us, not one of us will be able to look back over our lives and say, no. That wasn't me. So as we go forward here today, we have got to shine as a body. Church of the Red Door is only as good as you you and your ability to use your gift. And if you're using your gift outside and it doesn't accrue to the bottom line of Church at the Red Door, God bless you. I love it. Doesn't bother me one bit. We'll have what we need, but we are a releasing church. Are you with me? 
I'm not trying to get you and collect you and keep everybody. I want you to be equipped. I want you to know the fullness of Christ. I want you to become Jesus. And then if you leave church at the red door or don't leave the church at the red door, we bless you. We release you into the fullness of your calling. And I hope, you know, we stay together as a community for for a long time because I need you and you need me. But maybe it means using your gift to move to another city or something. I don't know. But I will tell you that the point is Jesus is going to fill the earth and he's going to fill it with his spirit and his spirit resides in you. And when that light shines out of you, friends, once you start that last worship song, I love this song, Shine. I mean, so let me close in prayer as this music begins to play and then you can leave with these words reverberating through your spirit. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we, we want to shine as a church. We can't do it individually. We need each other. You, you formed us so that we are incomplete without you and we're also incomplete without the body. Lord, will you help us? I pray that you'll pour out spiritual blessings on my friends i pray that you pour out your giftings in very powerful ways and then that we respond to it and take it as our highest priority to hone those gifts so that we might shine lord we have to shine as a church otherwise this valley is never going to know how famous and how beautiful and how transcendent you really are So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, go, be well, hang around, love on some people, and we love you at Church at the Red Door.